This episode of the Fabulous Learning Nerds is sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTIs, counselor, and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. They are the fabulous learning nerds. Because if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done, you've got the fabulous learning nerds. Scott, Dan, and Zeta are making it fun. The best ideas that you've ever heard. So everybody spread the word. They're gonna keep you with turning the fabulous learning nerds. Fabulous learning nerds. Oh yeah! Hey everybody, welcome back to another fantastic episode of your fabulous learning nerds. I'm Scott Chudy, your host, and with me, your favorite co-host with the most, it's Dan Coonrod. Everybody, Dan the man. Oh yeah. Dan. With the most of what? You're just the co-host with the most. I'll take like it. the ghost with the most. I'll take like it. the haunted mansion one. quote, which is what I was going for. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. Okay, cool. How <laughs> has your week been, sir? Uh my week has been it's been uh, fair to Midland. Fair to Midland. There you go. Fair to Midland. Fine. I have I have like the best problem in the world. And that I have uh, too much to do and not enough time, which is a good place to be because the oh, those are great days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel great in the middle of them, but at the end of them, you're like, man, I got a lot of stuff done today. (laughs) I love that. That's great. Feeling accomplished. I had a really light week, thank God, because I got the disease. Yes, I got that, which was nice. Like, "Mm, okay, I'm gonna nap for six hours and then come back from my one meeting of the day, and then I'm gonna go back and nap. I feel like. For our audience, and really, honestly, for you, you really do need to say which disease you've got. You can't be like, I got the disease and then move on. <laughs> there's a lot. I'm not sure if you're aware of, but there is, there's a lot of, of diseases out there. I got the big COVID, man. Oh! I thought I'd for sure go forever and not get it because I've been for three years solid, man. Really? Not, not having it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I finally got it. Well, And my wife was like, no, you didn't get it. I'm like, yeah, I totally did. It seems it seems like it's it hasn't killed you. So I'm um sad you have it. No, but, I'm happy but if we were recording well. on Monday, yeah, had we recorded on Monday, I probably would have said, "Yeah, I'm out. I'm not gonna, not gonna be able mm. to talk." But uh, I'm so sorry. That's fine. Someone that I'm pretty sure doesn't have the COVID is with us tonight, and she's awesome, and you're gonna love her. Zeta is here, everybody. Zeta, how you doing, my friend? It's been pretty good. Uh, it's been a really big scorcher this week. Uh, tomorrow's going to be like 100. So I think the Midwest is kind of suffering with us as well. Um, there's a heat dome, and I'm waiting for it to be on. So looking forward to that. That sounds gross. It does. That sounds super gross. <laughs> it feels gross, too, <laughs> pretty much. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. 
Well, at least you don't live in Florida where it's always this way. It's always this hot. It's just hot. It's just stinking hot all the time. I'm sure it'll get cool eventually. That's my experience is that eventually it's going to get cool. So we've got that to look forward to, which is great. We also have to look forward to very, very soon is our special guest this week. And we're going to learn all about her in a little topic that we call, What's Your Deal? Hey, man, what's your deal? Lauren! Yar! <gasps> what's your deal, my friend? I think I just summed it up with that one word. <laughs> <laughs> Yo! <laughs> wow. All right, we need to explain to our audience, although it'll be probably be in the show notes if they read ahead of themselves, like, what's going on? You're, you're a self-proclaimed learning pirate. Yeah, I got to update that. I don't think it's self-proclaimed anymore. I think everyone else just like has now, you know, I don't even have a name to most people anymore. It's like, oh, the pirate's here. I'm like, yeah, I am. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, my name is Lauren and I am a scientist, a learning scientist. I do all the things that uh, help people understand their brains and learning, but it's okay. I'm also a pirate. (laughs) I I have to ask. I got to ask. I got to ask. That transition from, oh, I'm a learning scientist. How do you get from learning scientist to learning pirate? What what brings that forward? <laughs> I mean, the pirate came first, right? Like I, I tried to steal my parents' car when I was like four, I think. There's a picture of me and my my sister as my little co-captain trying to steal their car. Um, oh, we didn't so know that awesome. we – I know, right? Um, little legs couldn't reach the pedal, so we were safe. But um, – <laughs> Right. This, uh, the pirate came first, the curiosity and the little adventure and, you know, um, the little, I guess we should say shit disturber (laughs) (laughs) came came first. And then years later, years later, when we matured just that little bit, uh, the scientist emerged and, uh, you know, all the schooling and all the education and all the professional stuff and yeah, still maintain the pirate though. Yeah. Awesome. That is fantastic. You've got the best um, journey of probably any one of our guests, which I think is great. And the fact that you own it, like you're a pirate and you own it, I think that's <laughs> I think drops. that's fantastic. And it's great. I think you're um, owning it more than I am right now, Scott. <laughs> well, you know, I just, the guy's got to have fun sometimes, right? Especially with the week that I've had. Oh. So that's really great. And we've got some really awesome stuff that we're going to be talking about from a scientific learning perspective, mm-hmm. as well as pirate stuff. So without further ado, everybody, let's go ahead and get into our topic of the week. All right. This week, we're going to be talking about the evolution of learning in an industry through science. Awesome. So talk to me, Lauren, what, um, what do you mean by that? Evolution of learning through science. Well, I think it's something that's been incredibly neglected over the years when we look at the, the history of how our sort of educational systems have been cultivated over what, a few hundred years, if, if not more. And it's it's pretty amazing that we're we're all sitting here in the year 2023 and I'm finally having to have this conversation with everyone going, "Hey, 
Um, you know that thing you learn with? It's called your brain. And uh, it's really cool. And maybe you should know a little bit about it. Oh, and by the way, there's all these amazing, proven scientific methodologies and theories that help us to learn. Anyone interested in that? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. My experience is that when I start talking learning science, the um, people around me, their eyes glaze over. I don't know if you have that problem, but I do. It's like, oh, well, you know that the brain tells us this. And people, can you get that one pager done for me anyway? Like, well, I think that's why I lean less towards the the sort of the lecture and let me let me tell you all of the you know scientific facts and all of the research and all of the people and all the things. And I'd rather look at you and go. Mm, let's activate that thing by conducting a little experiment, shall we? <laughs> and it's, mm-hmm. you know, because again, traditionally, we've all been taught to sit down, be lectured at, wrote, memorize, um, highlight, reread. And I mean, I'm even putting myself to sleep as I'm even like listing this all off. Whereas, <laughs> and that's just not the way that we operate. And I think it's that that fine point of, no one ever taught us about our brains when we were younger. And as far as I'm, I know, I mean, I didn't come with an operational manual of myself. I don't know if you guys did, but there's no like, you know, I've page, yeah. right? <laughs> right. It's like, did you Google that earlier, Daniel? <laughs> <laughs> there's no operational manual for us. And, and therefore, how could we possibly know or understand what we are capable of until we sort of even at a foundational level understand what does our operational system do? You know, if I had the if I had the IKEA manual to my own brain, what would that look like? And what could I do to be a better person, to change my behaviors faster and more efficiently, to learn more efficiently, um, just to be in better control of my cognitive processes, my emotions, just as an everyday human, what would that look like and what would that feel like? I can tell you from my own personal experience, as much as I I started my journey to be better as a professional in the learning and development industry it profoundly changed me as a human being. And that is why I am so passionate about all of this. What are some examples you have, you know, about how learning about our brains and how they work and how they function, how that can make us better learners. And also, as you said, like a, a, just an overall better human being. I mean, one of the things that we know, you know, when we look at learning from the inside out, right? When we actually like look at the function of the brain itself, we understand that we are just full of different chemistry and mechanisms that all harmoniously work with one another to allow us to do absolutely everything that we do. One of the the best examples that I think everybody can relate to is when we're in a state of stress and what that feels like. And that's not just a, you know, that's not just a, a sort of a mind thing. That's a body thing as well. And when we are in high levels of stress, or even when we're just in a high level of emotion, this part of our brain called the amygdala, which is our emotional processing center, it is going to act four to 10 times faster than our prefrontal cortex, our executive function. So what does that tell us? Well, I could probably learn then how to downregulate how do I downregulate that like crazy emotional response that I now know is going to happen at the speed of light before I can cognitively process something and think, you know, with my executive level function. And even knowing that and knowing what can I do to regulate? Well, I can take a very calm, drawn out, intentional breath. It's really can be that simple. 
so I can bring my executive function back online so that I don't lose my absolute mind in that, you know, in that meeting that I'm sitting at or that when I'm feeling a certain level of, of stress when I'm learning, which by the way, we do want a certain amount of stress when we're learning. Learning is hard. It should be hard. But we don't want to cross that threshold where we have lost our executive function abilities and we're just like in this world of like, I can't, I won't, this is hard, like, you know, under the table with a bottle of Jack Daniels, game over. I just want to say, I, I love that. I love, I love what you're talking about. And for me, like that really rings home. I um, like, I, I've got a bad manic streak, just runs through my family. I, it's really bad for me. And if I'm not very aware of like, my emotional state and like my thinking state, like before I know it, I've been up for two days on some crazy task and like lost my job and like, what am I doing? Why did I do this? Uh, it hasn't happened in a long time. And, uh, but still it's one of those things where it's like, you know, like I'll, 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 I'll talk to like my partner and be like, Hey, I think I'm, I'm having a manic episode coming on. I'm, I'm going to go lay down or I'm going to go do something mm -hmm. to be in charge of that situation. Cause if I'm not, it will be in charge of me. So I love, mm. I love what you're talking about. It totally rings the bell. Awesome. Yeah. It's a challenging thing though to do, isn't it? Right. And I think that this is what people yeah. really under it's, 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 we underestimate and myself as well. When I started all of this, we underestimate how challenging it is to be in that moment to recognize my heart rate's accelerating. My body temperature is going up. My mind is spinning right now, Ah, you know, and, and down the rabbit hole we go. And it does take, you know, I don't want anyone listening to think that this is something that we can just magically, you know, read a book or snap our fingers and all of a sudden we know how to do these things. We're no. working with a functional system that can change and that can grow and that can manipulate. And that is our the physical part of the brain itself and these networks that we are strengthening and tapping into and our neurochemistry, what we can trigger and we can activate in order to better what I call join forces with our brains, but it's a skill that we need to practice. Definitely. I think the first step though is, is realizing what's happening and understanding that there is a process, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. No, that's great. It's almost like having like cliff notes for your brain, <laughs> you know, like yeah. being able to hack your mind. Exactly. That's, that's, that's beautiful. I really wish they would teach that in school of like, Hey, when you're going through this, when you're, going through that learning process. Cause like you said, it's uncomfortable. Um, maybe you can try this path. The other thing that's really important around the example that you uh, set, and I love that you started off with the amygdala, which I love to talk about, which is really great, but it, it allows us to take a step back and detach when we watch people struggle. Like if you're a parent, your child very often can, well, have their amygdala hijacked their entire system. We call that a temper tantrum. And I know that as an adult, when I watch that, I go, what did I do? We didn't do anything wrong. And there's absolutely probably nothing you can do about it till the whole thing gets done. But there are other situations, even in adult life, where we can see what's going on and we can make adjustments and all other good stuff um, when it comes to how we react to people when we know what's kind of going on in their, in their brain, right? So when we watch teenagers make really terrible decisions and are not thinking about the future well, well they're not capable of thinking about the future because their frontal cortex doesn't evolve to that state yet right so are there any other examples where that might help us from just from being someone that can be helpful when it comes to how we deal with people and you know and, and what's going on in their brain? i think it's really powerful not only to look at those sort of um the internal the internal 
emotional you know, triggers that are happening, right? Because let's say, you know, when we look at our emotions, our emotions are really these neurochemical responses that are being burst out in our brain, but our feelings are those, those tangible conscious experiences of that reaction. And I think even knowing that sort of levels the playing field of, as, as humans, when you can look across to the other human and go, okay, that's this has been activated in there and they either know how to deactivate that and sort of downregulate or I can try to help them if that if that's you know an appropriate response in in that environment but even you know when we look at the context of having a conversation with somebody and one of the gateways to learning one of the biggest gateways to learning is focus but focus is a skill as well and it's becoming harder and harder and harder for people to focus and to use their attentional networks, of which there are several in the brain, to attend to the thing that they want to focus on. Attention is the mechanism to focus. So how and what I'm giving my attention to if it's so divided into so many different places? Well, I'm not helping myself focus. I'm splitting it and I'm not focusing at all. (laughs) So that helps when A, we want to learn and B, just on a general everyday conversation with a human being is, you know, I'll, I'll ask myself in my head, you know, sometimes we're talking with somebody and we're, the words are still coming out of our mouths, but we've drifted. <laughs> we, we've, we've just drifted off for a minute. And then when you ask yourself, what am I paying attention to? You know, silently in your head to go, oh, I just, I was looking at that dog that just walked by because like, oh, I'm not paying attention to this person in front of me. My focus is now split. And so in a day-to-day conversation with somebody and being able to engage in better communication, it's just another way that we just enhance ourselves as humans when we are able to work with the attentional networks in our brain in order to help us focus better. That's awesome. I I mean, I, I, everybody knows I'm a terrible multitasker, just, just the worst. And when I was younger, I could I could get away with it a lot more, but definitely it's one of those things I've noticed as I've gotten older where it's just like, I'll, my attention will dart someplace and I'll look back at somebody and they're two sentences past where I last left them. And obviously two very important sentences happened because now they're waiting on me for an answer and I don't know what's going on. And I'm like, ah, Hey, I'm really sorry. Uh, There was a tall building over there that was really cool. And I looked at it and I thought about how tall it was. And I thought about the sun hitting it. And now we're here, and I'm very sorry. <laughs> See, I'm terrible at. I think oh, that sorry. Happens. Go ahead. No, like, that happens to us all. What are you terrible I was at? Say, I'm terrible at multitasking. <laughs> I was going to jump in on there. Um, I'm terrible at multitasking. Is there a way to like become better at that? To like use that motivation to like increase your focus? Do you do you have a like a way to hack that or a path for success? Yeah, I mean, so. I mean, okay, multitasking, not a thing as far as the brain brain is concerned, right? Because it's it's a task switch, right? The brain can't, you can't, the brain doesn't multitask like that. It's a task switch. And we can see that depending on the activation of the certain areas and the certain, you know, networks that are being activated in order to allow you to do any one given thing. Um, when I am teaching on these things, and it's, you know, some of the things that show up in the the series joining forces is those things, data is how do we give people practical ways that they can practice these things and you know, not just practice. I found it was a lot more useful in my own journey. And I'm thinking the people who I've engaged with, you know, thousands of people around the world at this point, who I say, don't practice. Because I think when we say practice, you automatically go to a place of like have to. But if you experiment with yourself, like I'm going to experiment with myself and I'm going to go out for this walk. This is one that a lot of, um, a lot of people have tried because 
we all go outside at some point or we're just walking around a various area. But if you sort of experiment, say, I am going to look for something obscure. It's kind of like the Where's Waldo of your walk. And I'm going to look for lime green. I want to find the color lime green. And all of a sudden, I have primed my brain to look for these things as I'm walking. So I'm just guiding my attention to see if I can't find those things. And it's very simple. Or if I'm, you know, this is is an interesting example, but when I was younger in drama class, our teacher had all of us sit in groups of two or three. And I don't even know why we were doing this, but now it's a great example is she would say, okay, everyone start talking and start telling stories or whatever, but we want you to also pay attention or try to listen to the story happening next door to you. And I loved this, right? Because I'm like, oh, cool. I'm going to eavesdrop on everybody. (laughs) And I cultivated this skill very well. But again, it was a different attentional network that I was training to strengthen, you know, my auditory network in order to really hone in and listen. And so experiment, experiment with yourself, find those things that you want to, those obscure things that you want to look out for, or like challenge yourself. If you, you know, again, if you want to listen for something very specifically, and these are little things that we can do in our everyday just to cultivate the skill of being able to focus. Really simple one that I advise people to do is if you just take a post-it note and stick it on your laptop or your desk, wherever you're going to look, and every so often look down on it because that piece of paper is going to say, where is my attention? Ah, I like that. I just want to say, I just want to say, I think it's awesome that your first example basically is you play I spy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm... I'm I'm pretty good at that game, so so I dig that. That's awesome. <laughs> it's an intentional eye spy. <laughs> yes, intentional. Yeah, yeah. It definitely <laughs> makes a walk much more interesting, though, when you're like on the lookout for something new, different, and interesting. Well, when you think about how you know Scott, you're talking about children earlier. When you think about how enamored children get with very specific things for a long time, right? You know, I'll sit. I'll sit out on the lawn with my niece. Um, she's seven. She's seven now. I've started teaching her about her own brain since she was three years old, just because she was she was curious. She saw brains rotating around on on auntie's screen and wanted to know what the heck is that. And we um, we started training her and, and teaching her about these things. And she's probably one of the most emotionally regulated, cognitively aware um, humans that I know. And I'm scared at some point because she might take over the world. <laughs> but we will we'll lie on the we'll lie on the lawn and we'll look up at the clouds. Something as simple as just, I'm just looking up at that clouds or we'll look up at the the trees and we'll watch the leaves blowing in the wind. It can be that simple just to, and in, in those moments, we're not only, you know, using our attention to focus on things, but we're also just enjoying grounding and down-regulating and understanding that this is what my body and my mind feels like when it's a state of focus and calm. So when you think about, you know, the learning brain and all these really great stuff, right? We want to apply it to what our audience is, you know, here for really learning and development, design, facilitation, what, what are we getting right? And what could we be doing better when it comes to merging those two topics together? You know, just like me, um, we all, anybody who, who comes into this profession, we're doing it because we, we, we genuinely have the heart of teachers and we're here to serve and we're here to, you know, we, we just love the learning itself. Where we get it wrong is often we're thinking too much about what we want and how we enjoy it and, and what, how we want it created and the things that are going to be. And it's, it's not about us. 
it's just not about us. It's about everybody else who who we're trying to help. And it's about, you know, getting constantly going onto the other side of that screen and trying to put ourselves in the position of the other person. And that means what does that person's environment potentially look like? How distracted are they going to be? How do I use everything I know about attention and focus to design the experience to help those networks, those neural networks in that brain as best I can to focus in on the thing that I need them to learn right now? So, you know, even knowing those foundational principles of focus, and even more so, Scott, is memory. You can't say learning without memory. But I can go into almost any L&D team, any, any teach, you know, I want to say a lot of teachers and, and professors even, and say, can you explain to me the process of how a memory is created in a human brain? And they'll all give me faces like all three of you just did. Chirp, 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 chirp. Well, yeah, I, I have an idea, but I don't, I don't know if it's right since you're the, the scientist. But isn't it kind of like just making new connections between your neurons and making more pathways? And that's why like mnemonic devices work is because you're basically making bridges between all the information. So it's kind of supported in the mind and can be accessible. Not necessarily. You're, what you've just described is if somebody no, you're 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 partially right there, Zeta. Because what happened? I think this is where it gets really interesting. Because there's two there's there's different learning that we've got to take, take into consideration. There's learning that is built upon pre existing memory. But what happens if there is no memory? What happens if you're just learning it for the very first time? You have now we're we're playing in yeah. it. We're we're creating. We are literally and physically creating these tree branch like structures called dendrites that are growing to represent the creation of a new experience memory behavior habit etc and then they are creating connections with neighboring neurons and then we are strengthening even at a, at an even more minute you know we've got billions of neurons in our brain but we have trillions of synaptic connections so that is all. And it, think about that. Think about that. You've got trillions of something in your head. Yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. And it's allowing, allowing you to do absolutely everything that you do in your own existence. So it's, it really, I think that's, like, again, something that learning and development professionals, this is why it's so, and, and any education, ed, educational professional really needs to understand what is it that we are playing with as far as a structure in trying to help someone create a memory and things like schemas, which is, which is sort of what you were, you were playing with there, Zeta is, you know, if we have something that's already categorized and organized in our brains that we can build upon, that's wonderful, but schemas can also work against you Ah, yeah. because what if something is so similar but you need it to be different, right? If I want to learn something and it's different, but I've got something very similar to it in my head, well, now I've got to work even harder to distinguish, A, what's the difference? <laughs> and to create a pathway that's going to compete with the other one. Mm, and it's almost like the running in parallels. So you might get skipped, you know? Um, also unlearning. I was going to say, I've, I've had the opportunity to work uh, just in like really some policy heavy uh, environments and 100% what you just said, like, rang a bell for me because it's like, I will be looking at like, okay, here's this policy, we're going to roll it out. And it's just like this other policy, but they only do it in this specific case at this specific time when the moons and stars have aligned, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, 
oh man, like I know that's going to be bare of a course. I know that like the red flag behavior is going to shoot up no matter like how like amazing I can get in there and build because people will mistake when things are very similar. Like mm. it, you just get mistakes. You just, people will be like, oh, I have to remember this. And I, I do know this. Uh, I'll just default to that. Or I think it's this because, you know, brains, they make, they make memories and sometimes they get a little bit uh, photocopy wary when you've got too much stuff going on, static. And mm-hmm. yeah, 100%. Yeah. But this is why this is so immensely important to to even, you know, I, and again, I don't expect anybody in the, in the profession to go as deep down the rabbit hole as I did. You know, I got one certification in neuroscience and then I got a second one and then I got a third one. And I was like, oh man, I'm in, I'm in it to win it. I've got a board of advisors full of nerds. I'm in the scientific community because I act as a translator now and I understand my role um, and the responsibility that I, I share um, to bring the science in a very practical way. So I don't expect, and there should not be an expectation for people in the industry to go far down the rabbit hole, but to utilize the translators like myself in order to help elevate the profession. But the problem is, and I think Scott, you're saying like, what is it that we're doing wrong? I can tell you with certainty, with certainty that the expectations of people to learn are so far off than the human capability and We put the cart before the horse time and time and time again. An organization will go and say, we need, we need uh, people to learn this and we need them to upskill in this, or we need this behavior or this habit to be cultivated. I'm like, great. How many people in your organization understand the process of cultivating a habit first? Well, you want them to learn something that requires them to do it regularly, but how do they do that? Right. And that is, is what we need to be, and this is why the sciences, and this is why bringing brain science into you know organizational learning, development, and education on a whole is so critical, because we need to understand how our operational system works so that I can learn those things. When you say I need you to learn this new process, it's it's very similar to something that we've done before, but there are differences, and my brain will go, okay. I understand that that's in my head right now, but I need to focus even harder now to make a distinguished different pathway so I can see the difference. But I now have the knowledge to be able to take that authority of my own operational system to be able to do that. If we don't start learning these things, learning is going to continually going to fail. Yeah, I totally agree. A lot of people just like, what's going to be new, better or different? We're done. How am I going to reinforce it? Right? So learning happens over time. Training happens at a specific point in time. And I think that's where a lot of the process ends. Um, I do want to piggyback on this idea uh, of memory because I think it was really, really powerful. And if you have any other tips, that's great. But one of the things that I learned not too long ago is this idea of really tying in emotion to what's going on because we have a tendency to remember how we feel about something, which is really kind of tricky, right? So how do I how do I create an emotion around process or how do I create an emotion around around a topic? But that's one of the things that I've been challenging my teams like, hey, let's find a way to build emotion into what we're doing. So we're we're focusing less on that retention and more on that experience. Are there any other things that maybe any any tips or tricks that you might be able to share with folks as they think about design and think about how they want to approach learnings from a, again, memory is where it's at, behavior is where it's at. That's why we do what we do. Not just that 
did I get 80% of my quiz? <laughs> you know, it's funny because, um, emo- you know, people want to play with that, with, the, with emotions and it is critical, you know, emotions are part of almost all of our cognitive processes. So they do play a part. It's how prevalent a role do you want that to play in your learning and how much are you pressing on that button, right? So um, we talk a lot about novelty, right? We love excitement. We like surprise. We like things that are new, but you press on that novelty button too many times and the brain's just going to be looking for that as opposed to look, you know, as opposed to the learning itself. That's why gamified learning, although games are amazing and the stories that come with them can be very powerful. Most of the learning that was designed was like, we're going to give you a bad cheer and we're going to make this ping and it's going to give you this wonderful hit of dopamine and you're going to keep searching for those hits Mm -hmm. as opposed to paying attention to what I need you to learn. So it has to be used incredibly intentionally and incredibly strategically. But Scott, what you're saying as far as what you're, you know, the emotions are one thing where I think a lot of people forget that is where do the emotions come from? They come from context. And when we want someone to learn something for a professional environment and we immediately start training them in the context of that professional environment, I've already lost the opportunity to scaffold on something outside of it. I need to feel a real life experience that I've had first. And then once I understand that's how that feels. And that's how I might be thinking during that time. Now I can contextually switch it over to the professional environment and I can learn that thing because now I'm understanding that I've made that connection from something I previously knew and understood to something that I need to work on in the future. So context is incredibly important, right? And I think so often I only, I see people just go right in for the kill. <laughs> so. So how about a little humanity? <laughs> oh, dude, I definitely agree. Definitely agree. You need that foundation right. before you start building, right? <laughs> Put it in context. That's great. Whenever whenever I'm teaching like people how to do like instructional design, I yeah, it's it's one of those things where if you're not making emotion part of like what you're teaching, what you're training, what you're building, you're just building a dictionary. And, mm. you know, nobody has those on their bookshelves anymore. Well, not, not, not nobody, but very few people do. And so it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, like there's a whole thing in Bloom's Taxonomy for, you know, emotive learning, it's the effective domain, and just nerdy moment. I'd never see it used. And it's, mm. uh, it's I'm, I'm glad you brought it up, Scott. I'm glad you talked about it. Yeah. I could give you like a very distinct example that came out of uh, a client consult I was doing. And this particular client, um, they work for emergency dispatchers and they hire emergency dispatchers. They train them and then they are, they're, you know, put onto the field. And, you know, what does an emergency dispatcher do? They're dealing with people on the other side of that phone in crisis of some sort of a crisis. And so I, they said, Hey, can you, would you mind coming in and and taking a look at what we've got, do a little audit on it. And I read maybe two pages and I stopped and made a couple of notes. And I said, let me ask you one incredibly important question. I said, when these people come to you and you're, you're, you know, you go into your training sessions, because we're talking about communication and, and different styles. I said, do you ask them if they have ever had to call 911 themselves? And they looked at me and then they were like, oh, I'm like, have you ever called 911? Have you ever had to call for emergency services? Right. So they automatically don't have that emotional connection 
to what's about to happen. Because calling 911 can be very scary. And calling 911 is we're doing it usually in a state of stress. Now, I'm not saying we should all just start crank calling 911. But the point, again, like the point. <laughs> okay, we shouldn't be like, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's, that would be way, way too priority. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lauren, man, I I swear I could talk to you all night. Um, we don't have all night, and that's unfortunate. But I, you know, as we start to think about wrapping things up here today, um, is there is there something that you really wanted our audience to remember or understand, or you haven't had the opportunity to talk about that you'd like to share before we close things up? I think you know what I want to share, and and sort of the the comfort that I'd like to give to the people listening is that. We say brain science and we say neuroscience, and that can sound really overwhelming and intimidating. But when you find the good translators and when you approach it from a sense of experimentation and curiosity, it just makes it that much easier to embrace. So it's not something we, – we're not looking to study ourselves. That's what the scientists do. But explore. Be curious. And who knows? Maybe you'll learn to join forces with your brain just like I did. Well, it certainly is fantastic. I love it. This is great. Really good stuff. Lauren, could you do our audience a favor? Could you let them know how they can get a hold of you and some really groovy things you might be working on? Okay. Well, my phone number is no. <laughs> <laughs> definitely most active on LinkedIn and you can find me as Lauren Waldman, Learning Pirate. Uh, for those of you who are not on LinkedIn, uh, learningpirate.com is the website. And what I'd love for everybody to check out is the series, Joining Forces with Your Brain, scientifically designed by me. Um, it's got pretty much the same tone as this conversation went. Uh, and yeah, it, that that's my gift and my symphony for the world. Oh. Well, that's fantastic. We certainly are glad that you could spend time with us today. And um, we'll be uh, checking out that uh, that series and listening to Definitely. your symphony. It's a, it's a good one. Thank it's you. One. Daniel-san. Yes, Scott. Oh Could you God. do ourselves? <laughs> I know I got you, right? Could you do us a favor and let our audience know how they could connect with us, sir? Yar, if you haven't already, reach out to us at nerds at thelearnednerds.com. That's the last. I'm done. I won't do it again. I'm so sorry. Uh, if you go ahead and email us any questions you might have, tell us about your favorite pirate movie or tell us about uh, your own uh, knowledge or experience or questions about. I'm going to say brain science, neuroscience. I like brain science. I'm going to run with brain science. If you're on Facebook, you can find us at Learning Nerds. For all of our Instagram peeps, Fab Learning Nerds. And lastly, for more information about us, what we do, and updates, www.thelearningnerds.com. Scott, back to you. Thanks, Dan. Hey, everybody, could you do me a favor? Go ahead and hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Share this, this amazing episode with your friends. I know you want to do it. If you could, leave a review for us, either on iTunes or Stitcher. Let us know how well we did. Let Lauren know how awesome she was. We'd really appreciate it. Helps this little thing called the algorithm get our message out to more people. And with that, I'm Scott. I'm Dan. I'm Zeta. And I'm the pirate. And we're your fabulous learning nerds, and we are out. Yar! <laughs>
We're beggars and blighters and never do well can't stand up me Hardy's yo ho I both were loved by our mommies and dads and up me Hardy's yo ho Thanks for listening to the Fabulous Learning Nerds. You know, there are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment of offerings. If you're, if you're thinking of giving it a try, if you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com BE.